This week has been a lot for many of us, especially if you're a Black person in America. If you're like me, your heart has probably been all over the place this past couple of weeks. My heart started off really numb and heartbroken last week. Then I moved to frustration and feeling fed up. I don't think I need to recap the blatantly racist events that have taken place this past month, honestly, from Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, or the Chris Cooper and Amy Cooper incident in New York. We have a problem, America. We have a huge racism problem in America, and the fires were fanned into massive flames this week. And I'm going to do my very best to articulate how I'm feeling about this situation, to provide um, some things that I'm doing. I want to talk about racism. I want to talk about macro and microaggressions. I want to talk about the dichotomy of being Black and a Christian right now. And like I said, I want to talk about what I'm personally doing in response to all of this. I think I have seen people try to address everyone with their statements in regards to this past week. And personally, I'm not sure that that's the most effective way to go about this. So I'm actually going to break up today's podcast into three separate conversations. I'm going to talk to three groups of people today. I'm going to start by talking to my Black brothers and sisters that I know are hurting right now. I am then going to talk to my well-intended white brothers and sisters that may be missing the mark when it comes to holding people accountable when it comes to racism. And then I'm going to talk to anyone that doesn't identify with either of those groups, because I know sometimes you can feel like you're left out of this conversation as well. As a Christian, I absolutely believe racism is a sin issue. And I think many of these conversations need to start in the church with both blacks and whites included. And if I'm honest, I have been a little bit disappointed in the silence from a lot of white churches and their members. When the church is silent about these issues, or when they say things like, we need all the facts before we respond, or all lives matter, or even using Martin Luther King quotes to condemn the protesters, but saying absolutely nothing to condemn the murders and acts of racism, I feel like I, as a Black Christian, am left to choose between my Blackness and my Christianity. It feels like you, my white brothers and sisters, are drawing a line in the sand and telling me to choose a side. In those moments, saying I'm a Black Christian feels like a dichotomy. And for those that aren't familiar with the word, dichotomy means division into two mutually exclusive, opposed or contradictory groups, a disunion. That's a little bit how I've been feeling this week. And Lecrae has a song. If you're not familiar with Lecrae, he is a black Christian rapper. And he has a, when he started out, he had a very diverse, he still does, to be honest, has a very diverse fan group. He has a lot of black people, obviously that like hip hop, but he also has a lot of white evangelicals that supported his 116 movement and support him as a rapper. 
And a few years ago, I believe back in 2017, um, I believe it was Eric Gardner when he spoke out about the senseless killing of Eric Gardner by the police. A lot of white evangelicals, I mean, went off and they really tried to, um, they used the Martin Luther King quotes and said, you have to be peaceful and the blue lives matter and all of that stuff, totally missing what he was saying. Very similar to a lot of people's response to Colin Kaepernick kneeling where they're like, you're disrespecting, you're like going all over the place and totally missing the fact that he's not saying all lives don't matter. He's just saying that we need to talk about black lives right now. But in his song, he has a song called Facts, and he talks about this dichotomy of being black and a Christian. And so here are the lyrics. He goes, hope you know that I'm black, black, traded in my smart car for a Cadillac. Can you handle that? And I love God. I love Jesus, the one out of Nazareth, not the European with the ultra perm and them soft eyes and them thin lips. And I'm still hood. Been in the burbs for quite some time, but I still might hit the gas station for the lemon heads and the pork rinds. And I live in multiple worlds. Call me hybrid because I'm so black. Young theologian who's educated but still be at that chicken shack. I love these words from Lecrae. Because what he is saying is that he is unapologetically black. From the hood. And he loves Jesus and God. And I am both proudly. I am black and a Christian. And I will always speak up on issues that affect either parts of my identity. A few disclaimers before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. A few things that I just want to want to clarify. I told you that I'm going to be talking to several groups of people. And I said I'd be talking to white people. I want to clarify the type of white person that I will be addressing. I am not talking to or addressing the blatantly racist white people. Those that use the N-word casually. The ones that wear Make America Great Again hats or seek to intentionally exclude or harm people because of their skin color, or think that their whiteness somehow makes them superior. Basically, the ones that ride around with the sheets in their car on their way to their rallies. I'm not talking to those white people at all. I have nothing to say to those white people. I am talking to the well-intentioned white brothers and sisters that say things like, does racism still exist? Or I'm not racist because I have black friends. Welcome to the conversation. Have a seat. Let's chat. I also want to say that I am not speaking for my entire race. I'm speaking as Brianna Christel. My thoughts and my views might be shared by other people that look like me, but they also might not be. So if you are a non-Black person listening to this, do not take anything that I'm saying as a blanket approach for all Black people. Because we are not monolithic. My hope is just to share a perspective that you may not have considered before and a place to start. And lastly, to my Black brothers and sisters that are hurting very deeply right now, I am not telling you how to feel or even what to do with your feelings right now. I just simply want to share some things that I am inspired to do right now. Because I understand that we all have a different part to play in overturning systematic racism. So I'm just sharing my part and understand that yours might look different. To my Black brothers and sisters, I know this week has been exhausting beyond words. If you're like me, you've cried many tears. I know your heart is burdened and you may be sad 
and angry beyond words right now. And I know you may be overwhelmed by all of the noise right now in your timeline and that the silence of some of the white people in your life is deafening right now. I know you're fed up and I know you're looking for God in all of this. I know. And I am too. Every time this happens to us, I am reminded how much racism is a sin issue. It is a heart defect. And I know the silence of the church on this issue can cut even deep. I'm not trying to rush you through your feelings or, like I said, even tell you how to feel. I just want to share some things that I'm doing. Or should I say some things that I'm no longer doing? I am no longer staying quiet about how I am feeling when I am in white spaces. For me, that looks like not saying I'm okay when I am not okay. I've seen the hashtag I am not okay trending and I love it. I am not pretending that I am okay right now when people ask. I am not saying that I am just to make them comfortable. I was watching this uh, YouTube video between Pastor Stephen Furtick and Pastor John Gray uh, and it's called Becoming the Bridge and it's a conversation about race. And if you aren't familiar with them, Pastor Stephen Furtick is a white pastor in North Carolina and Pastor John Gray is a black pastor in South Carolina. And Pastor John Gray said, and I quote, he said, I shouldn't have to temper my feelings to quell their discomfort. And you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. That quote hit me so hard because a lot of times as people of color, we do that. We can feel all the heartbreak in the world and then we get into our white workplace or our white churches and we remain silent. I know I have been guilty of that and I'm not doing that anymore. And I encourage you to do the same. I know we always feel like we have to put on a mask when we enter these spaces and when stuff is going on in the world and we we decide that we don't want to talk about it or that it just doesn't feel like a safe space to talk about it or we don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, guess what? Not anymore. I'm going to be very honest about how I'm feeling. I had a coworker on Monday um, ask me if we could talk and I said, no. I said, I'm still emotionally grieving the loss of George Floyd and I'm not available for phone conversation. I told them that they can text text me and I was available for a text conversation, but I was not going to force myself to be okay in that moment when I wasn't. Number two, I am going to be very intentional at holding my white friends accountable for their silence right now. Very intentional. One of my friends goes to a predominantly white church but she serves in the media team there. She's a black woman. And her pastor did not make any mention of the events that happened over the past week on Sunday service. And my brave sister is calling a meeting with her pastor to talk about it. And that is the type of brave I am trying to be right now in predominantly white spaces. I'm trying to call out silence. Where the silence may not be intended to be dismissive, I'm calling attention to the fact that it is, and that Black brothers and sisters, Christian brothers and sisters, are hurting when our white friends turn a silent ear to our pain, our crying out, and our frustration. I had a friend this week reach out to me and ask me, basically, this is a white friend, she asked me how she could be loving on me right now. And I responded to her and told her 
that right now loving me looks like speaking up about racism in the spaces that she occupies that I don't. It looks like her leaning into uncomfortable conversations about racism with her white friends and family, especially those in her church community and community groups. I also told her how heartbreaking it is for me as a black Christian to see white Christians turn a blind ear and remain silent on these issues. That's what loving me looks like right now for all my white friends that want to know. I have wonderful white friends, ones who I love dearly and ones who I know love me back, but I will not accept their silence right now. So I'm willing to lean in and have these tough conversations, whether it has to be with a pastor of my church, whether it has to be with a friend who hasn't said anything or a friend who is only saying something about the protesters. I'm leaning into those conversations and I'm seeking to be a bridge. And I understand that that will not be everyone's role in this fight against injustice but I believe it's mine. Number three, I am being very intentional about where I spend my black dollar. I personally believe one of the most effective methods of the civil rights movement for them getting their voices heard came out of boycotts. When they took their black dollars out of the racist busing system in the South after the arrest of Rosa Parks for not wanting to give up her seat for a white woman, The South was shook because that dollar was powerful, baby. So I'm watching very closely to how brands are reacting right now, how they're reacting, how they're responding to all of this. I'm taking note of the silence. I've unfollowed many Instagram pages and influencers who are not speaking up right now. And I'm being very intentional about only supporting companies that support and believe that Bodies that look like mine are valuable. And I'm also being very intentional about buying black and actually doing research on black owned companies that I can support. I will be honest, sometimes it's much easier just to walk up in a store and buy X, Y, and Z product instead of having to wait for it to be in stock and order it from some of these smaller um, black businesses. But I'm holding myself accountable to not being lazy, to not just going for what's convenient, but to support companies that only support, not only, but I'm only supporting companies that support and value black and brown bodies. And as a Christian, I'll be honest, I think there's this fine line between celebrating your blackness and idolizing it. And so I do not intend to idolize my blackness, but I do intend to celebrate it loudly. And a part of that for me means giving money to HBCUs. I personally started giving to my alma mater again because I remember how wonderful my four years of living in a majority black world was where you go to the cafeteria, you see a black face, you go to the classroom, you see nothing but black faces, you go to parties, you see all blackness. And I remember how safe and included I felt being around so many people that looked like me where I didn't have to explain how my hair was 10 inches one day and then 32 the next. I didn't have to explain my slang. I didn't ever get people questioning um, the things that culturally made sense to me. I didn't have to do any of that. And so for me, 
I'm giving to those universities because I want those spaces to still be around when my children are looking to go to college. And one of the last ways that I'm responding to this is by giving back my time to the Black youth by volunteering and pouring into them. When I was in Indiana, I volunteered for an organization called Starfish. And basically, this organization paired me up with a high potential high schooler that would have been first generation, that will be a first generation college student to basically help guide her through high school, guide her through the college process, expose her to what my life looks like as a working adult, and just be there to help her through these formative years. And that is something that I'm very passionate about. I think giving your dollar is great. But don't forget to give your time to the next generation. I think that's equally as important. And now this was in no way an extensive list of all the things you can be doing. And it's not an extensive list of all the things that I am doing. I'm just sharing some thoughts of what I'm doing, what I feel like God has um, shown me that I can do right now, aside from obviously praying, leaning in. I think it's it's been a hard week for many of us, and I'm sending us all a great big group hug right now. I know that there may be a lot of feelings of loneliness in this, especially because the pandemic we're still in. And so I just want you to know that I, too, am feeling all of these feelings and that you're not alone. Racism is a sin issue. It is an issue of a person or group treating another group like we are not made in the image of God as well. And I believe God takes personal offense to that. I also believe that he is near to the brokenhearted in this and that we don't serve a God who doesn't know what injustice is like. Remember that. Like We serve a God who was wrongfully, brutally, and unjustly killed as well. And I've had to remind myself of that many times this week, that he knows our pain and he's not turning a blind eye or a deaf ear to any of it. And so I know that there are probably no words that can be said to the pain that we're all feeling right now, but I just, to all my black brothers and sisters listening to this, I am sending you love. I'm sending you prayers And I just pray that you know that you're not alone in any of what you're feeling right now. White people, especially white Christians, your silence on issues of racism are no longer an acceptable answer. So I want to talk. I put a post on Instagram this week that said, dear white people, your silence is very sharp right now. And I'm going to read you my caption. It said, dear white people, do not dismiss this pain black people are feeling right now because your silence is sharp. Your black friends don't get the luxury of being able to check out right now. We don't get to just scroll past images of white cops killing black men and not think about how that could be our fathers, brothers, husbands, or sons. Black people have been talking about racism for years. The painful reality is that these conversations are not new for us. So please consider this your invitation to the conversation. These conversations need to be happening in your house, 
on your timelines, in your friendship circles, and with your kids as well. Your silence feels like betrayal right now. This conversation cannot keep happening without you. We need you to call out that racist uncle that makes black jokes at Thanksgiving. Let your aunt that clutches her bag a little tighter when she sees a black man coming by know that that is racist. Call out that teammate at work that keeps calling your black coworker so articulate thinking it's a compliment. And check your own heart for any microaggressions and unconscious biases that may live there. We all have them. So do your research on what that looks like. Amy Cooper weaponizing her privilege by calling the cops on Christian Cooper when she was the one breaking the law is absolutely unacceptable and infuriating because that man could have been killed. When I see those videos, I see the faces of every black man I love and it is earth shattering each time. Your black friends are tired of having this conversation alone. Your turn. You are invited to the conversation, white people. I remember once we were having an event at work during Black History Month, and it was kind of like a roundtable discussion where we were talking about race. And there was this white gentleman who was being very quiet. And when someone asked him why, he said, very well-intentioned, he said he doesn't really know his place in this conversation, and he feels like he hasn't had an invitation to really join it. And I remember looking at him and saying, um... We actually can't really progress this conversation without you because guess what? We as black people are not always privy to the microaggressions or hidden racist behavior like you are. Your uncle probably won't make a black joke in my presence or at least he wouldn't if he knew what was good for him, but he likely will around you. Racism comes out in white groups and should be checked in white groups. And in those moments, we need you guys, white people, we need you to speak up and say something. And so what what I want to do is, is let me start by saying, it is not the oppressed job to educate the oppressor or ones being benefiting from an oppressed system. Let me, let me just be very clear and say that, that black people do not have to educate. You should not have to educate you on racism. You have the same access to books, to Google, to the same things that we do that are seeing this. So let me first start saying that it is not my responsibility to educate you. But let me also say that I am going to, I know, like I said, I'm not talking to the blatant, blatant white racist white person. I'm talking to the well-intentioned one. And so while it's not my responsibility to educate you, I am happy to do so and let you know where to start. Let's start by talking about the two types of racial aggression that Black people face. We have macroaggressions and microaggressions. And I need you to speak up for both. Now let me break down the definition for you. I'll start with macroaggression because those are the things that many of you are probably most that many of you probably most commonly think of when you think of racist behavior. Macroaggressions are defined as large-scale or overt aggression towards those of another race or culture. An example of these would be saying the N-word or other racial slurs, hate crimes, lynching, dressing up in blackface, burning crosses, racist jokes, 
or intentionally excluding someone due to the color of their skin. Many white people think that, you guys think that racism was laid to rest when Lincoln freed the slaves. But guess what? A law cannot change someone's heart. So just because he said that it was illegal to own slaves, to own black people, that did not change the white supremacist mentality that thought that white was superior. Now, whether or not that was a that is a conscious or a subconscious thought, that thought still exists. And it comes out in macro and microaggressions. Now, what are microaggressions? Well, these can be a lot trickier. Microaggressions are verbal, behavioral, or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative prejudicial slights and insults towards any group, particularly culturally marginalized groups. Watching a person of color closely when they are in the store is a microaggression because you think they're going to steal something. Clutching your bag tightly when you see a person of color walk by without even blinking because you think they might grab your purse is a microaggression. Locking your door when you see a black man walking by your car too closely is a microaggression. Crossing the street when you see a person of color walking your way, microaggression. Calling the police on a black person for no reason, microaggression. White parents self-segregating yourself in neighborhoods and schools, microaggression. Saying all lives matter in response to black lives matter, microaggression. And I found this quote from this article that I was reading about white privilege. I'll include the link in uh, the podcast notes. But it said, it's a monumental task to get white people to realize that they are delivering microaggressions because it's scary to them. It assails their self-image of being good, moral, decent human beings to realize that maybe an unconscious level, maybe on an unconscious level, they have unbiased thoughts, attitudes, and feelings that harm people of color. My white brothers and sisters, well-intentioned, it is not enough to say you are not racist. I need you to be anti-racist, meaning that you are willing to call out racism when you see it without a second thought. I need you to speak on speak up when you see both of those aggressions, micro and macro, but also check your heart for what ways that you may have unconscious bias and thoughts about people of color. Because guess what? We all have biases. Be honest enough to admit it to yourself for whatever they are. When I lived in Indiana, I saw this white couple very beautifully confront the microaggression of white people self-segregating their neighborhoods and schools. They had invited me over for a game night. I had never been to their house before. And when I pulled up, I literally, I actually thought I was lost. Um, This was, it was a white couple. They were uh, maybe like my age, white collar. I knew one of them worked at my company. And when I pulled up to their house, they were living on a all black street. And if I'm honest, and I know this is not politically correct to call it this, but it was, it looked like the hood. And 
this, like I said, this was a white couple that had corporate jobs. They were purposely, and they were purposely choosing not to live in the comfortable all white suburbs. They were intentionally choosing to say, not just say that they were for diversity, but to legitly live in a completely different cultural environment that I am sure they both grew up in. And I thought that that was so beautiful. And I remember them saying how their parents refused to come over because they just didn't feel safe. And they still chose to live there. They chose to sacrifice having their families visit and be uncomfortable. And I thought it was just such a beautiful act on their part of one acknowledging that microaggression that exists within the white community and choosing to literally dispel it. And I love that. Dear white people, aside from just speaking up when you see these micro macroaggressions happen, like that couple that I just mentioned, I need you to acknowledge your privilege and do something about it. And now I know some of you guys will hear the term white privilege and many of you will get offended by it. But I think that's because you are misunderstanding what we mean when we say it. When I say someone has white privilege, I'm not saying that their life was handed to them on a silver platter. I am not saying that everything that you have is unearned. I am not saying that you all were given handouts because you're white. I'm not saying that you've never struggled, but what I am saying is that your whiteness gives you an advantage in this life that I and every black person is not granted. I know that's maybe not easy to hear, but it's true. Now, let me give you some examples of what white privilege is. White privilege is walking into the drugstore and being able to find band-aids that look like your skin color. I have never, never, ever, ever seen a brown Band-Aid that matches my skin complexion before. Or it's walking into CVS and finding hair products for your hair very easily. As a person of color, we only have a very small section labeled ethnic hair care with maybe five to ten products if we are lucky. White privilege is having the privilege to never be the only white person in a room. I remember once when I was having a going away party when I was moving from New Jersey to Indiana and I invited my family and friends from church. And I think I've already mentioned that I go to predominantly white church. But afterwards, one of my friend's husbands, whom I love dearly, and he happened to be a white guy, he told me that it was the first time in his life that he had been the only white man in the room. And I remember thinking, what a privilege. If I had a dollar for every time I have been the only black face in a room, I would have enough to buy my own planet and build my own little world there where racism doesn't exist. White people, you have the privilege privilege of being the majority in America and seeing yourself everywhere you go. White privilege is having the privilege of being able to live wherever you want without having to think about whether or not your kids will see children in school that look like them or if they'll have teachers that look like them or even whether or not it will be safe for you to live there. When I was moving to Indiana, I went with a realtor to look around at some different places in the state. 
Um, I gave her kind of my criteria of wanting to be a certain proximity away from work. I knew what kind of environment I wanted. And she found me this really nice apartment complex that was about 15 minutes away from work. It was very nice, very spacious. I wanted a two-bedroom, two-bath. And I was right up the street from a mall and a Chick-fil-A. So it was literally a dream. And I remember like loving this place and I was so excited about it. And I had told one of my um one of my black mentors at my company, she was asking me, like, okay, where are you gonna move? And I sent her the link and I showed her and she said the name of the town. She's like, Oh, is that such and such? Um, Greenwood, Indiana. And I was like, Yeah. And she was like, Mm-mm, you're you're not you're not living there. And this is a black woman who had been living in Indiana for a while. She's like, "Mm -mm, you're not living there. I'm like, why? She's like, I would not feel safe with you living there. I would not feel safe with my child living there. It's not a safe space for us, us meaning black people. So I had to quickly find somewhere else to live because that she, she told me was safe. Um, And it wasn't just her. Sometimes, you know, it's like, okay, well, did she just say that? No. We, I literally surveyed maybe four to six other people of color that all said, don't live there because it's not safe. So white privilege is not having to think about that. White privilege is having the privilege of the power of the benefit of the doubt. That means that you are less likely to be followed, interrogated, or searched by law enforcement because you look less, quote unquote, suspicious. You're less likely, white privilege is being less likely to be denied a loan because of your skin color. And being less likely that your skin color will be the reason why people hesitate to trust your credit or financial responsibility. White privilege is being deemed less likely that someone would assume that you're a criminal or intending to harm them. White privilege is the privilege to accumulate wealth. Now hear me out. In 2014, the median threshold for a white household was $141,000, while the median threshold for a black and Hispanic household was $11,000. Now why is that? That's a $130,000 difference. Well, I can think of one reason. For me, how do you accumulate wealth? Usually by passing it down from generation to generation. Well, guess what? Just two generations ago, my grandfather wasn't allowed to go to college because he was black. So while I'm not saying that your grandfather was handed an acceptance without trying hard to get in, I'm just saying that my grandfather wasn't able to go. So that's an entire generation of wealth that we did not have the opportunity to build in the same way that you did. I'm going to include this great article about white privilege in the podcast notes um, from teachingtolerance.com. It's called, What is White Privilege Really? And it has a lot of really great information in there about what white privilege is and what it isn't and what you can do about it. So what do I I want you to do about it? What can you do about it? Well, I want you to educate yourself, educate other white people and do something. How can you use your white privilege, whether that be the privilege of access to knowledge, access to resources, access to capital, access to credit. How can you use that and help someone underprivileged? Look up some ideas. And and please, when you hear me say privilege, please don't think that you're the only one that has privilege. 
many privileges exist out there and we all benefit from privilege in some way. There may be even things that you don't know are a privilege. I remember watching the privilege walk. If you've never watched that, YouTube, search it on YouTube. I remember watching that. And there were many ways that I didn't even think about white privilege or just privilege in general that is considered a privilege. A privilege of living in a household with two parents. That's a privilege. A privilege that of having a parent that went to college. A privilege of not having to worry about whether where your next meal was coming from. These are all privileges. So I would encourage you to watch that video and challenge the areas where you are um, benefiting from a privilege while another party is being harmed from that privilege. Number three, lean into the conversation about race with those black people around you and in your life. A couple of do's and don'ts with that. Do let the black people in your life know that you see them and that they aren't in this alone. Do not put the burden of educating you on racism onto them. Like I said, it is not their responsibility. Do ask them how they are doing, but understand that they might not be ready to talk about it. Do not just reach out just to clear your conscience. Make sure you are actually listening to them and let them know that you hear them and that you are there for them. Do not underestimate how much it means when you reach out during these times. Do not feel like you have to have all the answers. Do not do not, not reach out because you feel like you don't have the right thing to say. Just reach out. Here are some examples of messages that I have gotten this week from some of my white brothers and sisters that have really meant a lot to me. I had one friend who said, hey, Brianna, we haven't spoken in a few years, but I feel the need to reach out to you. You were in my hearts and in my prayers. All I can really think to say is I'm sorry and I stand with you. You are a strong, beautiful woman. Your voice and what you have to say matters. I know you don't need my validation or anyone else's validation at that. I just wanted you to know that I am listening and learning. Love you. And this is someone that I, I literally haven't talked to her since high school. But her message just reminded me that I was seen, that I was being heard. And even though, like she said, she didn't need to give me that validation, I still appreciated her message that she let me know that she was, that I was loved and that she is listening and learning. Beautiful, beautiful message that literally almost brought me to tears. Someone I work with, um, one of my partners sent me a message saying, hey partner, just checking in. Such an emotional time, praying we get through this quickly and we all hear, hear if you ever need me. You don't have to have the perfect words. Say them anyway. Another sister that I had, she said, hey girl, just wanted to check in on you. I love you and I want you to know you are a gem. Let me know if there's any way that I can love and care for you right now. My boss, she even called me on Sunday night to let me know that I can take any time that I need right now. She even said, and I quote, she said, I know you're always a cheerleader and super bubbly on this team, but I want you to know that you don't have to be that right now. If you are not okay, you don't have to pretend to be. And I feel like I subconsciously needed that permission from my boss. I needed that permission to 
not feel like I had to put on. She's like, hey, if, if you can't be on the Zoom calls, I understand. And you don't have to explain to anyone why. If you need to just take a mental health day, go right ahead. And those words meant the world to me. It made me all of these words. And I've, I've received more. I've received phone calls. All of those words have meant the world to me. And I'll be honest in saying that I have never had white people reach out to me when something like this has, has happened. Trayvon Martin, I don't think I heard anything. And the list goes on. There have been so many of these situations. And as heartbreaking and as soul crushing these images and videos of police brutality and these images and videos of white people weaponizing their whiteness to call the the police and displaying microaggressions to call the police on on black people for doing nothing we have a hashtag in the black twitter world the, the karens of the world these are the ones that are always asking to speak to the manager and always calling on somebody there's been so many of these that have happened and I think if there's anything, if I can even call it good, that has possibly come out of everything that's happening right now, I think it's been that I have heard more white vo- voices in this conversation than I've ever heard before. And I pray that that continues. So to my white brothers and sisters that want to know what you can be doing right now, to summarize, this is what I recommend doing to start. Again, this is Brianna's recommendation. Number one, use your voice against racism, both micro and macro aggressions. Educate yourself on white privilege and actively work to dismantle it. Reach out to your black friends and see how they're doing. Don't be afraid to lean into the conversation about race with them and talk to your children about racism. Black children. I was just on the phone with my 11 year old cousin and she goes, Missy, how are you feeling about everything happening in the world right now? She is aware. She is aware at 11 years old. And so if your child is 11 and you have never talked to them about race, guess what? That's also a privilege. Are my black babies, not mine specifically, but the black children in this world do not have the luxury of not hearing or learning about race. Talk to them about race beyond Martin Luther King. Talk to them about racism and what it means and call it out when you see it so they learn to do the same thing. Like I said, it's not Black people's responsibility to educate you on racism, but I'm going to include a bunch of links to resources in the podcast bio section. They will include books on how to talk to your kids about racism, books for you to understand more about the Black experience, articles on white privilege, a conversation on race between Stephen Furtick and um, John Gray that I mentioned, the privilege walk video I talked about. I'll include a poem from one of my favorite um, Christian poets. His name is Christian Perry. He's a black man um, and many other videos. So please check those resources out. I've heard many of you guys ask where to start, where to go. I'm giving you a bunch of places to go. I also ask that you share this podcast with your white friends that need to hear this message as well. For my non-black or white people that are listening to this, 
to my Asians, brothers and sisters, Hispanic, Native American, and many more. I know sometimes you may feel excluded from this conversation and like you may not know your place in it, but you also have the responsibility to speak up against injustice as well. You have the same responsibility to be educated on these issues and not to just check out because it doesn't directly affect your world. Heaven isn't just going to be black and white. It's going to have all of us there. Extremely diverse people, a diverse place. So please join the conversation as well. Like I said to my white brothers and sisters, you do not have to have all the answers. Just don't stay silent. With that, I just want to conclude in saying that for, again, the non-Black people listening to this, it's very hard for you to understand what Black people are going through right now. And you may never fully understand it, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try. And so my prayer is that you will lean into those conversations. You will lean into educating yourself. You will lean into engaging in conversations with people that don't look like you, that you will pray for people that don't look like you, that you will pray for this country and against the sin of racism. And for my Black brothers and sisters, I pray for your heart this week. In the weeks to come, I pray for your mental capacity. I pray for those that may not have a supportive work environment that may not have been surrounded or felt any love from their white brothers and sisters this week that may feel the sting of their silence, the silence from their church, the silence from people that they thought were their friends that have not reached out. I pray for your heart this week. I pray that God would meet you and me and all of us in those moments of despair and remind us that he is close to the brokenhearted. He is not a God that does not know or care about these issues. He's a God that experienced injustice as well. And so I am truly, truly just praying for all of us, for this this our, this our country is hurting. Our country is hurting. Our, our people, Black people are hurting right now. And this country is, is feeling that. And I don't want to rush past that. I I don't want to rush through these feelings. I'm still processing mine. It won't happen overnight. But I refuse. I refuse to stay silent on these issues. I also refuse to allow the enemy to harden my heart against all white people. And I'm sure he would love that. The enemy would love for me to blanketly um, apply the hurt that I'm feeling and the anger that I'm feeling right now to all white people, but I will not do that. I will not dismiss my feelings or my, my hurt right now, and I will lean into those conversations and have them with the white people in my life that I know love me and whose voices I need to hear right now. That's absolutely what I'll be doing. And so I am sending love and hugs to all of you and prayers to God for all of us. Praying for our for you and for our broken and incredibly sinful world. Love you guys.